Hey guys, Texas Slim here. Here we are. I am back in West Texas. Where have I been? I've been in Tennessee. Where in Tennessee? Nashville. I've been all over the country this year and we had the micro summit in Nashville at Bitcoin Park. Uh, there's so much to say about the micro summit and what we actually were able to do to make history to sit on the uh, panel with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association uh, National Convention this year as well. So one thing I want you to know is there's a lot of thanks to be uh, given and there's a lot of uh, celebration. It's been a hell of a year for us in the Beef Initiative. We're going to do an independent podcast for the Micro Summit. It's going to be me, and I'm going to kind of tell you the story on how we got to Tennessee and to the Cattlemen's uh, Association Convention. Uh, what fascinating times in uh, my life, I hope for yours as well. We are just getting started. And this last year, basically, I told somebody the other day on uh, Twitter, I guess I told all y'all on Twitter, I said, hey, 2022 was a year. Uh, uh, a year that was used to uh, survey, survey the land, survey these uh, back roads, survey some uh, people, and to go out there, shake hands, and see the state of affairs uh, within the United States of America. And uh, we've laid a foundation within the Beef Initiative. This was a big test. We tested different types of events. We tested uh, summits, conferences, micro summits. And so we, we found out who's out there and who's willing to uh, come along, who uh, has the right questions to be asking, who's paying attention, who's getting intentional, who is uh, yay, uh, craving for authenticity again in this life, in this lifestyle. So I just want to say one thing. We're not a marketing plan, man. This is word of mouth. And it's because of people like y'all. It's people like in Nashville. It's the people, everybody that I'm on this road. I had to tell no to so many people on my way to Nashville because they wanted me to come and stay with them and check out their ranch and shake their hand and show, show me what they got going on. So what we're going to end up doing with the Beef Initiative, man, I am Texas Slim. And I am going to basically... The beef initiative is now going to be turned over to the ranchers and producers themselves. They are taking ownership of the beef initiative and they are going to work together and they are going to create the biggest signal and narrative in this nation. Because what we're doing is we're kicking off a freaking international health initiative and it starts with the great American rancher. And so you guys need to get on board and get everybody that you know on board. You can find something in the Beef Initiative that's going to improve your life. It's going to improve the children's life in the United States of America. And so this is what this is about. This is about changing a lifestyle that actually is rewarding, empowering. It's not full of deception. And you can have faith in it. You can develop some of the best relationships in the world that you've ever, never thought you were going to be able to create in this lifetime. The time is now. And this is what the Beef Initiative is about. It's a producer and rancher-led initiative that's basically leading the great international health initiative. And that's my job. I'm going to go out there and save lives with this mouth. You know, my mom freaking tied me tree, to a tree one time and said to argue with that damn tree. She did that because I like to fucking talk. So sorry about that. But I had to throw that in there. But we're about to go around the world and we're going to bring all the success that we had with the beef initiatives we used to share. We're going to take it to Australia. I'm going to go to Thailand. We're talking to people in South America down there in El Salvador. Y'all have heard me say this. This is an international 
health initiative. And we're going to go save children's lives. We're going to save your life. We're going to decentralize our food systems in a way that we can because we have proof of work and we know the law just as well as the law itself. So on that note, you guys enjoy this podcast with Cole Bolton, Jason Rick, and get ready because 2023 is going to be a fascinating year. And it starts with beef intelligence that these guys, and right now, probably pretty much only them can do because you know what? They were talking with each other in the beef initiative all year. That's called beef intelligence. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, Texas Slim here, and I have two of the most favorite people in the world. And we have traveled around the United States this year. We have basically, we have Jason Rick of Rick Ranches, and we have Cole Bolton of KNC Cattle and Hometown Meats. Two different guys, two different places, two different geographies, two different protocols, but they're all doing the same thing. We're back here. We're going to feed a nation again. And two of the first people I met within the Beef Initiative over a year ago was Cole Bolton first and Jason Rick next. I went out to Cole's uh, land and he invited me on there. We drove around in his pickup truck and we were able to basically survey each other. And I was able to basically see what Cole does as a rancher. He opened up his gate And that's what we've done this year. We've opened up over 110 gates across this nation with different producers coming into the beef initiative. Probably one week later, I met Jason Rick of Rick Ranches. We had, of course, the Colorado Beef Initiative Conference out there. So, Cole, how are you doing? Jason, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I mean, we've got more December snow right now than we've had in years and years and years so i've got my fingers crossed we're gonna have some irrigation water for this coming summer so it's i mean it's it's interesting fighting the cold and fighting the snow but boy it's a blessing and i'm gonna take it so i'm counting my blessings now and uh thankful for everything we've got going on and and what the the future looks like for for us here at rick ranches and of course for all of us collectively with the beef initiative yeah, for us, we're not used to snow, and damn sure aren't used to it in Central Texas. And they're saying that Christmas we could have twenty-two degrees and six to eight inches. Uh, we went through this a couple of years ago, and uh, it was the whole damn state shut down for a week. So I hope that doesn't happen. But, uh, lots of exciting times for us too. We we got our processing plant open, uh, hometown meat market. Uh, so now we have the capacity to make sure that inventory and volume issues that some of uh, our customers experienced in August, September as we were opening is no longer an issue. Um, this week alone, we've shipped out almost 650 orders across the country, so it's been real exciting. Uh, got a big year planned, uh, continuing to try to find labor in this uh, really fun workforce that we're in, and life is good. Well, yeah, Cole, that's a big props to you for getting the processing plan open. We had to kill it and grill it, and we had the Cattleman's Feast. Uh, We had over 200 people show up to that. They were able to tour the plant. So I don't think people really realize how uh, what a precedence that is within, you know, the, the beef industry right now, especially in the United States. And, and to be able to move forward in the time of hyperinflation, 
basically a lot of prohibition and you know a lot of uh, uh, the information war that's going on against beef, the lack of market access. I believe that we have a story to tell moving forward. In in whenever I met you, Cole, you know, driving around the ranch that day, you said, "Yeah, we're, we're we've got some uh, plans to open up a processing plant." And you know, I knew basically the bottleneck of the processing plant, and to get the labor that you know you need to get the intelligence in the in the basically the skills that's that's something that you know a lot of people don't see they don't see the challenges within that they just say oh he he's got enough to open up a processing plant it's going to open and when do i get my orders but we did have a lot of orders during you making that shift from your old processing plants that you were using into your own processing plan and you did a hell of a job uh, as far as accommodating everybody and and people were very cool about it we didn't have too many you know basically there weren't too many bad customers uh but overall i think people were pretty understanding because they're really engaged right now and you know you just said that you shipped over 650 orders this last week what was it that's pretty Sorry, good. I muted myself. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> 650 is pretty crazy, and they're still coming. Well, I hope all of those were through the beef initiative. I'm being selfish. But anyways, we're going to ramp that. You know, I told yeah, somebody the other day, I said, hey, I'm in competition with Cole. And they're like, what? So, hell, I got to beat his orders that he gets through KNC. We're going to get more through the beef initiative. And when he, whenever I start doing that, he's going to say, well, shit, I'm in competition with uh, Slim here. So what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to say right now, we're going to do a quarter million dollars a month through the beef finished in through KNC cattle, through hometown meats, through a bottled, unbottleneck processing center that we now have in the state of Texas that is, a, is an effort to decentralize your food. And a lot, a lot of people out there in the nation are starting to see that. So by saying that, Cole, you've got your own processing plan, Hometown Meats in Lindley, Texas. Well, Jason, how about you? You're, like I said before, you're a different rancher, different demographics, different geography. What was your year like and how is your beeves looking and how was this year for you? Well, you know, we've been in the throes of a historic drought here in Western Colorado. Um, five out of the last seven years, uh, we didn't produce any forage as far as hay on many of the properties that we take care of. And so <clears throat> the ebb and flow of trying to match our numbers of cattle with our feed resources has been a, an emotional and a financial roller coaster. <clears throat> but I have to say that because we focused on soil health and we focused on our locally adapted genetics and then using some of our own terminal cross bulls back on our locally adapted cattle, um, we weaned the heaviest calves this year, despite the drought that we ever have since we've owned cattle. And that's just really a testament to the quality of forage that you can grow when you focus on soil health, number one, and, and you truly become a steward of the land. You focus on that um, observational science that I preach, um, you know, that stuff that I learned from my grandfather, like get out in your cattle, get out on your pastures, and it will tell you what it needs. And so from, from that standpoint, I mean, we've, we've had the, the, we had timely rains. So because the, the, we had, we had a lot of grass and we had uh, left a lot of standing forage. When we got all of that rain, we were able to capture all of that moisture 
and it immediately turned into feed. And, and by doing that and managing our pastures in that way, it paid huge dividends. Uh, as well as the beef market, so many people are actually practicing what they preach and they're getting out and shaking their rancher's hand. And by doing that, they're either coming to the ranch here to tour and see what we do, or better yet, they're doing orders online and we are delivering that beef to them wherever they happen to be. You know, we have delivery points all over the front range, uh, Colorado Springs, Denver, Boulder, Greeley, and we're able to expand our markets and and all of those customers are actually telling us we need to raise our prices because they, they're preaching to us that they need us to be sustainable. So they have a way to get that high quality grass fed, grass finished, all natural beef. And um, so we're going to do it. I mean, we're not sure where we're at price point wise, but when we talk to them about the struggles and the pain points of ranching in Western Colorado, and being a fully conception to plate operation where all of the calves that we butcher are ours. It's our genetics. They were conceived on our place, born on our place, fed, grazed all the properties that we manage. Um, it's super expensive. And they're realizing the quality of the meat and the way that they feel and their health improvements by eating that kind of raised beef is well worth it to them and, and they want us to be around as long as possible. And a lot of that traffic has come through the beef initiative. People can do a search, a regional search on our website, you know, beefinitiative.com, and they can find their local producers um, and reach out to them directly, which is, it, that is what I continue to preach to all of my local grass-fed, grass-finished, or, or even conventional cattlemen is like, it doesn't cost you anything to be part of this movement and get the free advertising that comes along with it. You just got to put your bio and your contact information on the website and, and then hold on because there's going to be traffic and, and you're going to, it's going to be a huge blessing. And that's one thing that I, I'm just continuing to, to tell, preach, communicate that to everyone that I, that I talk to. Yeah. You, you and I, you know, we brought that up in the very beginning is that, you know, we're not just going to put a bunch of producers in here. I believe it was you, Cole, uh, Holy Cow, of course, uh, and a couple others that first were the first entry points into the platform. And throughout that time, just to bring that up, we have over 110 producers now that have come in. They've, you know, they're not being asked to do anything except just tell the truth. You know, hey, hey here we go, man. This is who we are. This is this is our voice as a rancher, wherever we may be in the United States. Going back to what you said and to, to you, Cole, you know, Texas, let's let's compare, uh, not a, in a bad comparison, just for people's clarity, but we suffered a drought in Texas. And uh, talk about your season. What did you have to do during this drought in Texas? And then I want to go back to what, you know, the consumer needs to understand about you know, inputs and how you handle those inputs and how a lot of uh, grass finished, you know, ranchers, producers in central Texas were having a difficult time and maybe that beef was not as quality as it should be. So that's something, you know, that's education the general public needs to understand. Yeah, you know, with our processing plan, I get to see a lot of it on the forefront um, because we're harvesting several of the grass food programs that are, that are around. What's happening is they're bringing cattle that are too light and are not finished, even on a grass finishing program. So um, 
Jason, you know, on average, what is what what is it an animal you're taking a processing grass finished? What what are they weighing? Their hanging weights are typically 770 to 815 pounds. Um, yeah. That's typical. So that, I mean, that's the thing that I'm I'm able to put my grass fed and grass finished carcass and literally compare it with a conventionally raised calf in marbling back fat and size of ribeye, just nearly side by side. But I'm an anomaly because I'm focused so much on genetics. So many of my friends that are grass finishers, they, they never actually finish cattle. Number one, they don't know how to read cattle on the hoof. And number two, they don't know what that little fat around the tail head and that fat cover looks like when a calf is fully finished. And then the flip side of that is when we're paying $310 a ton for alfalfa hay, um, they can't afford, they think, to run those another 45 to 65 days to actually get them finished to have that product. And so their customers are just accustomed to very, very lean meat. Um, and when you're doing a grind on that, it oftentimes is 94, 6. 94 you know lean six fat because they they're using every ounce of fat to even just try and get any color in that ground beef hey guys quick story here i've got so many stories it's a story about me and where i am it's in a shop okay this is a this is a it's a metal shop it's a wood shop it's a workshop whatever you want to call it it's built with wood it's got a gas heater here one of those ceramic gas heaters well, i'm so warm it's cold the night. But anyways, I wanted to tell y'all a story and a little bit how my mind works. Whenever I was young and I moved to Austin, I was 19 and everything, but I, I said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work metal because I wanted to be, I'm an artist. I wanted to be an artist. I'm kind of an artist to this day. I just don't tell you guys that. But anyways, that's how I look at life. It's art. And I met this cat and his name was Richard and he had this business and it was called Mind Over Metal. Okay, what does that mean to you? Mind over metal. Well, it means that you, hmm, you have to think a little bit. Well, he was a hippie and he came from Chicago in uh, probably the late 70s, early 80s. And it was really fun in Austin at that time. Well, him and his buddy rode a motorcycle in and that's all they had. And they were hippies. And there was a place called The Drag in Austin, Texas. Was all the where the hippies kind of hung out. When it was cool, Austin ain't cool with hippies no more. It got infiltrated. And hell yeah, I know that because I spent half my life there. Damn it. Anyways, the hippies were cool back then and they were creative. And what they did was they used their uh, motorcycle and they, uh, they started working on metal. They started making jewelry boxes and they would sit on the, and they, they used copper. They used all kinds of stuff, but they needed a grinder. And so they used their motorcycle and they built a little grinding wheel out of limestone out of Show Creek. And so they would grind metal with their motorcycle. And one guy would hit the throttle, one guy would grind and became a novelty. And one thing that Richard found out is like mind over metal is so simple. You use metal to make tools. You use your mind to make tools. So we've got tools over here. And what we do is... I do mind over metal. He taught me many things. I've done decorative art. I've done all kinds of cool stuff. But like this is a piece of metal. I'm going to turn it into a knife. I'm actually finishing up one knife that I built. And it built it out of a basically a lawnmower blade. It's so cool. It's like this will be something. And it's, you know, what it is. It's done. Oh, sharpening the axe. Got wood out here. Doing stuff. Hacking. 
not throwing. But anyways, all this is tools, tools. What Richard taught me, mind over metal. You use your mind basically to build your tools. If you know how to manipulate metal, then therefore you can use your mind over metal to make any tool that you would like to be able to manipulate the metal, such as life, mind over metal, mind over whatever your problems are. We don't use that enough. And a lot of times in the United States of America, we're suffering from a form of nutritional starvation that doesn't give you a form of clarity. What we need to learn how to do is focus again. What we need to learn how to do is respect again. Respect really takes intentional behavior. It takes me, a young man at the time, to learn how to use all of these tools to build all these fascinating things that I've done. And I'll show you some of the things I've done moving into maybe the holidays so we can all lighten it up a bit. But Mind Over Metal allows you to have a vision. With that vision, you want to give respect to your thoughts. You want to give respect to your history, to your past, to your future. You want to give respect. We don't respect enough in this nation anymore. We need to be bold right now, and we need to be showing the world how we do shake a hand, how we do look at you in the eye, and we give you respect. All of these relationships that I've built this year is based on respect. It wasn't because I was selling anything. It was because I used a philosophy that an old hippie from Chicago that ended up in Austin taught me is like mind over metal. You can create all the tools in the world if you know how to manipulate metal, such as life. Use your mind, folks. Be okay to say, hey, I'm going to build a tool. I'm going to be a tool. I'm going to learn how to manipulate metal in a way that my imagination allows me to do. If we can start doing this with a show of respect to ourselves first and then to anybody else that we shake their hands, we can build out this decentralized food system that we're doing right now with the Beef Initiative. These two men that you're listening to today and watching today, there was a story. I was on that road trip when I went to Tennessee. And what was fascinating, one day I was outside of Maggie's Valley out there in North Carolina, Tennessee border up the edge of the Blue Ridge and the Smoky Mountains. Most beautiful place in the world to me. Smoky Mountains are my most favorite place in the world. And I've been around the world twice. There's something about those damn Smoky Mountains and button up to the Blue Ridge. Anyways, I had to get to the top of one of those damn mountains, which I always do. I had to go take a view. And whenever I got up on top of that mountain, guess what? Phone rings, it's Cole Bolton. I'm sitting up on top of a park bench table looking out 360 view of the Smoky Mountains and of the basically the Blue Ridge. And so we start having a conversation. And it was a fascinating conversation because we just, I painted a picture and we came up with a new strategy that day. That strategy, well, you've seen it already and you're actually hopefully living it because you're buying beef from the Beef Initiative. Right whenever I finished that conversation, it was about an hour long. Guess who rings? Well, no, I ring Jason because I said, hey, I just had this conversation with Cole. And so I talk to Jason and I tell him everything, what I'm doing, everything. This is how this builds out, folks. It's about telling stories. I'm telling you a story right now that really has no meaning, but does. It has deep, deep meaning. These tools are the same as what your imagination will allow them to be. 
So look at the tools around you, become mind over metal, and let's get busy creating the new beef industry. Because I need to get on the road, man. I need to get back to the Smokies, need to get to the Rockies. I'm going to Australia, going to Thailand. I told Princey in France, he better get something going in the U. well, you know, Europe. And then we'll see where that goes. What about El Salvador? What about all these other places? Well, I'm hitting the road because I am Texas Slim. I'm actually, you know what? Hell, I got to get back to talking to Jason and, and Cole. This is how these conversations go, man. <laughs> They're always calling me in the middle of the night. I wonder why. Anyways, y'all enjoy the rest of this podcast. We'll see you soon. And exactly what Jason is saying is one of the challenges that I see a lot of our producers coming into the plant phase. So where he's seeing his calves hanging at an appropriate weight, which is even where my calves are going to hang. Um, we're seeing a lot of these grass-fed animals coming in in central Texas weighing, you know, hanging weights are 300, 350 pounds. Um, some are even four, 450, and these cattle are not at a size of true finish. And so what that means for uh, the consumer, the end consumer, and so many of them, you know, Jason, don't shoot me on this, but because of this, this has kind of been a running joke in, in, in the ranch to table movement down here is we can sell you grass fab and finish once, and then you'll come by grain finished because these guys are not finishing cattle. Just the same can be said with guys that are grain finishing. We're seeing the same thing too. Yesterday, I, I, or two days ago, I had a guy calling, he's got a wonderful calf and uh, man, he's finished. He's got uh, 60 days of feed on him, which instantly I knew he was not finished. He brings this gorgeous animal up that weighs live weight, 750 pounds. And I asked him if he was fixing to start finishing. Um, that calf was just now ready to start that program. Um, but they're killing them. So, you know, one thing we just want that I, I'm spending a lot of time this year is trying to help people understand what the program is, but understand the true understanding. The, the concept behind finishing, because it does change the flavor profile. The difference in a beef from Jason and one of my finished beef are going to be very similar. He's right. We both focus on genetics. Um, and, and you can get those same profiles. Here, it is a little more challenging because, you know, we're importing hay in from New Mexico, Oklahoma. I just bought another load out of Arizona. Uh, West Texas has some. We just have to be careful uh, uh, for blister beetles. Uh, in, with Texas alfalfa. And so um, it gets more and more challenging. A lot of people also think that you just turn a cow out on a pasture and that's going to make him a finished grass-fed beef and that's not the situation at all. Jason and I both focus our programs on making sure we're regenerating our soil, making it stronger so that our grasses have higher proteins. And in turn, we're letting our land generate income on a price or a level of income per acre and we're no longer looking price per pound on a cow we're looking at revenue per acre on that and uh, that's something i encourage other producers to look at but for the consumer who's not so much worried about that just rest assured that we're doing our best to bring you know through both our programs and other ranchers we're onboarding we're trying to get people to bring a consistent product which you can know what the hell you're getting and at the most affordable cost that we can possibly do it without subsidized supply chains, which is what you get at a grocery store.
Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point as far as you told me, you know, I, it was a couple months ago, Cole, you said, you know, one of the questions you should ask if you are going to, you know, source it from somebody maybe at a farmer's market is the first question is, make, hey, what was the hanging weight of this, of this uh, beef before, you know, before you cut it up and to you sell it? And it's a simple little questions that you can identify pretty quick and, you know, knowing a good hanging weight between seven and 800 pounds, as Jason said, that is, that is these small little touch points of information. And I call it now beef intelligence. We started the beef initiative with be, uh, with food intelligence, you know, that hashtag food intelligence. Well, what we've done throughout the year is we formulated basically a great foundation to be able to provide this type of uh, education. You know, we have our media channel now, you know, within the Beef Initiative. You know, you guys are going to be moving forward and probably have your own podcast that you can have access to whenever you're wanting to basically educate. And that's something that you guys both told me from the very beginning, first and foremost, your educators. First and foremost, you look at basically the, the value of your beef to where it shouldn't even be compared to the supermarkets. And, and that's what I'm going to start putting my foot down as far as, you know, being Texas Slim, being part of the beef initiative is that I'm not going to let anybody compare the compare supermarket prices to somebody like, you know, somebody like either one of you that actually has a superior product. And that's what we have to start doing. And we have to do it with humility and we have to do it with authority because until we actually say, hey, no more, don't even, you can't even compare supermarket to what we're providing. People are going to still continue to say, hey, is $11.99 good for a, a half a cow? It's like, well, shit, I don't know. What are you getting? Ground beef? I don't, you know, what are you getting? What is the you know, anyway? Go ahead, you call. saying that, Slim? this one has just struck a bell since we all three went to uh, Nashville together. Uh We were at the U.S. Cattlemen's Conference. We were able to hear from a guy in processing about this exact topic. So yesterday I had a guy bring a cap to me and then tell me that he was donating it because he buys all his steaks from Costco. Or, sorry, Randall's. Randall's has $6 ribeyes. By golly, you can't beat them. And I asked him what they graded. And he said, oh, those select, the select crimes are the absolute best $6 ribeyes you'll get. All right. Now, I get that. If you want to eat, eat rubber, go for it. But, um, you know, one thing that I learned is something that a lot of listeners need to understand. And we all got to hear this at Cattlemen's Conference. You know, these big grocery store chains such as Walmart, when they're, when they're processing or buying beef, and they're retelling it to you as a consumer. The intention of that is not for a margin. They're actually selling almost all beef dang near at their set cost because what they realize is the average consumer then is fixing to go buy all the sides that go and are associated with that beef, and they're going to make money off of you uh, with markup on other products. So in the end game, not only do they choke out the producer and not provide an ample margin back to the cattleman, but you just think of all the producers from farmers that have vegetables and, and you know, inevitably that go into that chain or, um, you know, choose, choose your, your poison of any other product that's offered. All companies are getting choked on margins so that they can give you a reduced profit on your protein and jack up the earnings in other areas of, of that store. And so that is why I, I won't have a discussion any further on why you're your beef is a couple of dollars higher. 
I can tell you, I, did. I mean, that that was factual information that was presented. If they charged the appropriate price, we would actually probably stay toe-to-toe with almost every food um, distributor. But they don't. They, they don't intend to. So. Well, and, so, and, and to speak to those lines, like my market here in Colorado is a completely def- different demographic than most of the consumers in Texas. And I went into HEB while I was there in Kerrville, and I look at the variety of grilling cuts available to every single consumer, um, stuff I had never even heard of. Um, And so I can sell a very lean beef to a consumer, and they are completely happy. They're eating experience, but that is because they don't just throw a steak on the grill. There's almost nothing that they cook that they're truly going to benefit from all of that bought inputs that oftentimes it takes to put a lot of the marbling and back fat on, you know, conventional cattle. Um, you know, cause we do a lot of slow cooking meals. You'll even braise, they'll even braise their steaks in the cra- in cast iron, in the oven, whatever that happens to be because they make that eating experience their priority. Um, but then I have the other customers that I am literally have to go toe to toe in presentation with the grocery store beef, because if it doesn't, if they don't have that same eating experience, they will go back to buying that cheap beef at the grocery store. And so oftentimes always walking that fine line between education and the consumer eating experience is a lot of work. Um, Whereas if I was feeding byproducts and I was in a confinement type situation where I could perfectly hand feed an entire group of cattle, um, my overheads would be way smaller and my consistency would be way greater. Whereas now I'm literally hand feeding cattle on grass, excuse me, where I'm, I'm pulling these three to go this butcher date and this six to go this butcher date because there, you just nobody finishes the same. Um, and it's just it's the, the hours of work and the level of expertise needed to be able to try and provide that consistency on a small scale like I do. It would be one thing if I could buy a pot load of calves that are all AI sired by the same sire out of very similar maternal cows, I could feed that pen of cattle um, within a, a pretty set window of time. But we're not there yet because I have all different sizes of cattle, cows, mother cows, and then all different types of genetics. Sure, I'm using my bulls back and I'm stacking on my my replacements as far as genetics, but it's just, it is... Um, it is, there's so much more to it than most people realize. And that's the exciting thing for me, hopefully in 2023, to be bringing more and more people into our program so they can actually see boots on the ground, what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about age of finish and how to break down and look at a cow on the hoof and what you're looking for, for all of those different things, identifying forage species and all of that as well. It's just um, 
to give them an idea of all the moving parts, every hat that a, that a cattle rancher wears to be able to get that meat on their plate or or to fill their freezer. Well, I think that's the I think that's why 2023 is going to be so damn fun. I mean, you know, being from the very beginning until we are now, <clears throat> um, you guys have uh, basically corresponded with each with each other throughout the year. I mean, you guys met each other in Kerrville. You brought up Kerrville. And you, you're able to basically compare. You came from Colorado to Kerrville. You came to, you know, Cole's back door, basically, backyard. And so you know, by saying that, one thing I don't think people realize, and, and Cole, I'll let you kind of in, introduce this because I remember the conversation that we had. And one thing that you always push from the time that we've been in Austin, as far as, you know, we've done presentations, we've done this, are the true cuts of the cow that nobody really even knows exist. And how do you look at that as far as dissecting that down, that cow down into all those different choices? Well, part of that goes back to exactly what Jason said. It, it, a lot of it depends on geography. So in Texas, you know, we have really 10 out of 12 months of the year in which Texans are still able to go outside and grill versus Colorado. You are snowed in, so you're not going to sit on the porch with eight inches of snow and grill a steak. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a, of a different profile there. but you know, with us, yeah, we're, we're teaching more and more people about other cuts. One, so when I, you know, I have a customer who has a set budget that can't afford um, an expensive tomahawk or, a, or even a ribeye and they need something more affordable, well, great. We can offer a chuck eye, a Denver, all great cuts from that cow that have a state, the same state profile. Um, just might have to cook them slightly different. But with that, I saved them from having to have as much roast because there are other sections in which we can cut some really, really good roast. And so they're not really losing anything. The only thing they're losing is I'm trying to take their ground beef mixture from 50% of that being in the carcass to more in the 35 to 38% range. And in turn, we have a, you know, a customer that can really try and experience more parts of the cow that they don't. And so it's been, um, it's been highly successful for us. Um, three years ago, I couldn't get rid of short ribs. Um, today, I can't cut them fast enough. Kind of the same way with Denver steaks. Uh, it took a long time for people to acclimate. And once they started eating Denver and Chuck Eye, um, then they realized, crap, I can have these instead of ribeyes. And I actually had the first thing happen in July, which is the heart of grilling season for us. I, <clears throat> I had a surplus of ribeyes, and I've never been in that situation before. Um, it was a great time because now we're at Christmas and once again, I'm, I'm completely sold out of ribeyes, but uh, so we're having to cut uh, all day today to get caught back up. But it is a, it's a fun constant. We all battle, you know, just really understanding where you live, what the weather's like, and what your accessibility is to different varieties. I'm lucky because I can control that piece with our processing plant. Jason has some great butchers in Colorado. And they're going to butcher to what the customers can experience there because it's not near as easy to take off a tomahawk and, or even a, a big old Denver steak and throw it in their cast iron. All depends on where you're at. Well, and you, what, what you were saying earlier about <clears throat> Walmart's margins and the game that they, that they have is they do a lot of wet aging. They'll cut primals, put them in a bag, cooled, and ship them somewhere else. So they're literally, you know, they're they're going in the back end of the processor and within 48 hours, they're already leaving the plant in 
primals or hanging halves or whatever to wet age. Whereas what we're focusing on is a minimum of a 14 day dry age. So you have to have enough cooler space to do that. And you have to know what the shrink is on that dry aging. Granted the flavor profile, the tenderness and everything, there's not really any comparison, but that's the other thing too, is they don't have any overhead in cooler space because that stuff's going in the front and out the back. And that's another thing that nobody talks about. There's no education happening about what the big packers are doing when they're killing 3,000 a day and you have 4,000 tractor trailers worth of beeves leaving every single day with only a little hiccup, you know, in the in, long enough oftentimes, excuse me, for the USDA to pull a sample and put something in the quarantine cooler long enough to get the labs back that might be the one carcass out of the whole day run that spends any more time than the ones that are going in the back, you know, and going right straight through. And nobody's talking about the difference in quality. And that, and that's the other thing that no one talks about is in that styrofoam tray is essentially the finishing time on those steaks, which is gross if you think about it, you know, versus us dry aging, cutting, flash freezing, you know, to where all of the nutrients, all of everything is in that steak when you thaw it out and cook it. Yeah, exactly. it's a little bit of mis misconception. Yeah. I, I was thinking back to, I'm not going to name the restaurant that all three of us went to, but we all <laughs> went to a restaurant uh, in Nashville. And I know Jason and I both had fillets and you had a ribeye, slim. And, uh, I think the meat was good. We all, we all enjoyed it, but I can tell you with along with what Jason's saying, I read the menu, said a 45 day dry age. There was no dry aging chamber in that restaurant. What that means is exactly what Jason just said, they were wet age. The difference in that is if you take a filet that has, uh, you take a whole tender one that's been dry aged for 14 days, then you turn around and are able to wet age another you know, 10, 12, 14 days, meaning you leave it in the package, you put it in your fridge for a week, and then you pull it out and season. You could cut Jason's and my tenderloins. You should be able to cut with a fork. We still had to use a daggum knife at that restaurant. That's a difference. And a lot of folks don't get that. I think it's a perfect point. I think, okay, what do we got? We got hanging weight. If you're going to go shake a rancher's hand, you're going to be asking the hanging weight. And Jason, you're spot on. People say dry aging, wet aging. They don't have a clue what that means. So moving forward, and Cole, you brought this up, you know, and you've you've been you've you know, you're aging two to three weeks. It's it's different on a grass finished and grain finished. So there's always a different aging period. But one people one thing that people should realize is most of the beef in the United States right now, if you are getting it on the retail market, let's say, if you're getting it delivered, not, not by Beef Initiative, of course, but by another company that delivers in the box on your porch, guess what? You know, it's, it's actually being raised and harvested in another country and that wet aging happens on those cargo ships before it gets to the coast. So the importance of the, how big do you guys, as ranchers, what is it in your whole 
uh, protocol of business, how important is the aging? Let's put it down right here. This is part of the education. How important it is, because you guys just touched on it, but I want you to really dive deep on here to where somebody should not even freaking make a decision on buying a beef unless they know exactly how long it's been aged. How well, important is that? I'll give you my opinion from a processing side, and I'll let Jason give it more from the ranching side. Perfect. From the processing side, I can tell you this. From the day the animal hangs, it begins to lose two to five pounds of shrimp and weight every single day. So what that means, the business model is more necessary for the big corporate conglomerates because the more water weight that's in that beef, the more they get to charge you. And that's why when you cook ground beef, it stinks because they've also sprayed it with lactic acid for sterilization. And that is also why you can take a pound of ground meat from most grocery stores. By the time you're done, you're sitting at 0.6 to 0.7 pounds versus if you take a, ground, a pound of ground beef from Jason or I or someone that's aging, the shrink is significantly different because guess what? As a producer, we paid for it. Um, taste profile is completely different. I'm gonna let Jason talk about that. Well, and so we sell on hanging weight, right? Which saves us to have to pay for the shrink. Um, but I have done some hot hanging weights, chilled, and then cut immediately because there are some people that just had to have it. They were in town for however amount of time. They didn't have time to wait. And it was everything that I could do to convince them otherwise. So we did it anyways. We, it had a four-day hang. They cut it up. The, you know, the, the butcher rearranged the cooler because when you're stacking them in there, it's all meant to come out you know, as you pull them back out so there's no wasted labor. We rerouted the whole cooler so they could get them out, cut them up. But I asked them to save me a package of rib steaks just for my own personal experiment and, and experience. And... I was pleasantly surprised because I was afraid that it would be tough, potentially tough. Um, but it was actually, I would say it was in the middle of my typical experience with the beads that we raise and feed for ourselves. However, comma, the feedback that I got from them on all of the locomotion cuts, right? Our New York strips, um, sirloin tip, steaks sirloins, those more, they're tougher cuts, right? They absolutely have to have that time for that muscle to break down. They, they said that they could tell the difference from the last beef that they had bought for me to that beef, that those steaks were tougher. And, and so I explained that to them exactly why that was. To, to talk about the ground beef, when we grind trim, we're trying to gr grind every single piece of meat that we can literally debone off of this carcass no matter what, right? And our butchers are, are fantastic because all of that offal, all of the bone that they don't cut for marrow bones and dog bones, they have to pay for it to be shipped off to go to the landfill. And so they're fantastic at pulling every little bit of trim off. and we did an experiment here cooking grocery store ground beef with our ground beef with a group of customers. And they were 
flabbergasted that when we took our pound of ground beef and the pound of grocery store ground beef and put it back on the scale, what the difference was. And so I said, somebody that's good at math, you do the math and tell me how much more could I charge for the difference in weight? And they were like, you literally could charge $10 a pound for your ground beef and still make out. It would be the same price. Because at that time, ground beef at the grocery store was like $6.15 a pound or something. Um, and so that's the other thing that communicating to people that value as far as pounds. And then we talk about nutrient density, the importance of the microbiome of buying cattle and eating cattle that breathed the air that you breathe, uh, ate the grass that grows under the feet that you walk on. You know, it just all of that stuff, um, the, the picture is so much bigger than just simply the dollars and cents. Um, but you have to provide a, a positive eating experience for your customer no matter what. And that's that's at the end of the day, if someone has a bad eating experience, they're going to go somewhere else because there's lots and lots of options. And that's something I've seen. You know, we, we introduced the Cattleman's Feast and I believe Cole and I came up with that name and the Kill It and Grill It is different from the Cattleman's Feast. Uh, we'll let y'all know about the Kill It and Grill It at a different time. But anyways, it's a funny story. We kind of said something on the, the podcast that we did with uh, Matt and uh, in the last week in Nashville. One thing that we do find, you know, doing these Cattleman's Feast across the nation, we've had one in uh, Nashville, we had one in uh, North Carolina, we had one in uh, Luling. One thing that we do see, and this is not a judgment against the, the consumers out there, but people don't know exactly even what beef is supposed to taste like. They do not have a really good taste profile that they can say, hey, I've established this taste profile. I'm able to speak to this. It's usually word of mouth. It's usually the marketing plans. It's usually, oh, look, I'm at this restaurant in Nashville, like where we were. Look, it says 48 days dry aged. The, the layer of, I don't want to say it's deception, but not clarity of how you approach being a consumer and basically a, a, an ambassador for, the, for the, the rancher and producer in the United States, there's a void there. And so that's, that's part of our education. And what we're doing is we're having these fireside chats. We're having, it was fun at that restaurant. Thanks for the steak, by the way, Cole. Really, it was, it was a damn nice gesture. <laughs> It was a fun night. Anyways, um, what we have to do is basically what we want to do is my theory now and what we're going to start messaging out there. And you guys are going to lead this because you are the educators. You are the ranchers that have the boots on the ground. What we're going to do is we're going to let people basically have access to information to start becoming the new modern day cattleman. That means that you, before you go out there and you start comparing to supermarket, before you actually thinking you're getting a good deal at Randall's for $6 ribeyes, before you, you know, go by that place that says 40 ribeyes, 20 bucks, you know, we all see it across the nation. They're everywhere. You know, you're going to actually be the educator because you're going to be educated by you two, two of the biggest and, and basically most, uh, I guess, the pioneers that have started this movement. And that's why 2023 is going to be fascinating for us because 
you know, I, I talked to you yesterday, Jason, and I said, hey, you know, I had, and you even said it, you reflected it better than I told you. And I said, hey, I, I, I've been doing this shit for three years, you know, and I'm smart enough and you know, I can't have an ego here. What I've got to do is now that we have the foundation that you guys established, you and you and Cole, is that, you know, I've got to turn over completely the beef initiative over to the producers themselves. And what we're going to do is we're going to allow you to lead the education and basically the, the knowledge, the lifestyle that I'm going to go out there and champion as Texas Slim, because I get to have fun now and go be Texas Slim. And I'm going to drive around this country uh, another year or two. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to come up and we're going to allow every rancher across the United States to open up their gates. And I want y'all to speak to that. What I just said, one thing that we've been up against in the United States of America is the ranchers themselves have been divided from each other and they've been divided against the consumers. There's actually, there's a barrier there that we've been able to kind of kick down. And what we're going to do is we're going to up the education. We're going to up the market access to this education that you guys want to provide because you're not a marketing plan. And that's what you're up against. You're up against centralized information systems that are marketing plans. This is not a marketing plan, folks. This is a lifestyle and it's based on food intelligence and now a higher level of beef intelligence that I've ever had in my life. And, you know, by saying that, you know, we brought in genetics now. We're going to basically, you know, dry aging, everything, the cuts of the cow. What else do you guys see going down the road that you, you hear every day from the consumers that you want to kind of champion and move forward with this year? For me, the biggest thing is there is market access and market share for everyone. That, that's the biggest barrier that I've been spending so much energy trying to tear down that barrier. It's like it's not a competition. The competition that we have is against the big guys because they're the ones that dictate, you know, the, the narrative that the grocery store promotes to all of our customers of commodity beef. And that, that's, the, that's the thing that we're up against is we don't continue to support our local ranchers when they decide to turn off the beef supply chain in the grocery store because they can because they control every part of it we they will just be without people will be without and that's the thing that i, I just i continue to to go there with all of my customers friends families fellow ranchers is like this is not a competition i as a grass-fed grass-finished producer am not running down what you're doing. I'm not running down the multi-generations of the way that you, your family has done things. I mean, those multiple generation ranches have, is what has enabled me to be a brand new first generation startup, right? All the hard work that they did promoting beef for hundreds of years has allowed me to do what I do. And I want everyone to know that whether you're the consumer, whether you're a fellow producer, we want everyone to come into the beef initiative. We want everyone to shake their rancher's hand. And this is the platform for us to have a voice again and for us to be able to have these conversations and educate the consumer who wants to be educated. 
I can't force anything down anybody's throat. That's just the way it is, right? But there are enough of us approaching us to want to know more about what we do and how they can support us. And the Beef Initiative is the perfect avenue for that to happen. I kind of, you know, I piggyback Jason couldn't have said it any better. I think, um, you know, I'm continuing to learn every day because what I think is more just an everyday thing for me and people would have no interest in. I think I can better refine what what you're asking, Slim, as the year goes, you know, being able to have a more of a Q&A with our consumers and our customers and understand exactly what they want. I know Jason and I will talk forever on what we think they want. Uh, yeah but uh, well and that's just it a lot of a lot of time they don't have they don't know the question to ask or they don't even know what they want to know and one thing that i've discovered is i know enough to know that i don't know and that's why i am forever number one questioning the narrative and number two reading watching listening just trying to educate myself every single day and and that's so i can share that with other people as well yeah in in the the one thing that i have seen is in i get a little frustrated with people sometimes and and you're right cole sometimes people just don't know how to write ask the right questions but what this year has been, I tweeted out the other day and I said, hey, 2022 was a, a it was an opportunity to go out there and survey the land, survey, you know, the market, survey the people, survey the United States to know where we're standing. And at times you're like, whoa, people really are separated from, but they've never had the opportunity to have these Q&As as Cole brought up. And one thing they don't realize is you are wanting to have those Q&As. You want to be able to answer the right questions, not the ones that are comparing to something that they shouldn't even be comparing to. That's a, it's a very frustrating point, you know, and one thing that Cole, you and I've been working with, you know, through the beef initiative, KNC cattle is we built that technology stack that we lit, that we were, uh, used for beef initiative, you know, paying fiat or Bitcoin. One thing that you've also been doing and you and I are in, you're working with JP as far as the, one of the biggest pain points that we see right now is the understanding of shipping. Why is it what it is and what we're doing to improve that? Because you've already innovated just because opening up the processing center, you've had new access to different technologies. And we're looking at basically the shipping right now. Do you want to share a little bit on, on what we've accomplished, where we're coming from, what the pain points, and how we're going to look at it in 2023? Yeah, you know, one of the hardest things with me is it is perishable and we have to get it to you quickly. Uh, we have about a 48 hour window. Um, companies such as Butcher Box, you know, they are, they go in, they raise capital funding. And so they can ship you orders and they're no different in their loss percentages than we are. The only difference is they have a lot of capital that can expand and they can absorb those losses, whereas a small ranch of the actual producer, we can't. And so the only way we can guarantee it is either going with overnight or <clears throat> two-day air shipping. And because we can insure the product, and then if they provide you a bad product, we, we file a claim and hopefully get money back. And that hasn't always worked. 
Um, but what that does is even with the reduced price where it would cost me a hundred to go to California, we've been able to ship it through a, a network of producers we co-opt with to get pricing, you know, at 60 to $70. And yeah, that's a, a significant decrease, but to the customer, we, we do recognize that's still expensive. So one of our models is we've been trying to price it be cheaper so that you can get it to you more affordably. What we're going to do in 23, we've been doing a couple of different ways of testing. I know some people don't like these styrofoam coolers. Uh, I, I get that. I've looked at other alternative resources, but to get Texas beef uh, across the country, um, we're going to continue using them because they're the most reliable technique that, that we can we can trust uh, with our model and the most accessible to me in Austin, Texas, because I can buy some some of the other shipping stuff out of California and Washington, but by the time I pay freight, once again, if you want, want us to control the price, uh, it will just add a cost to do other methodologies. So we have been testing um, different ways of doing our dry ice program. So at the first of the year, we are going to go and offer uh, anyone that's purchasing beef that qualifies under UPS is a three-day ground shipment we will be shipping to you uh, ground, which is gonna probably cut your shipping costs um, at least uh, in half. Um, so where you were paying $70 to get to certain parts of California, we should be able to get it there for 35. <clears throat> there will be some customers and, and California is one of the ones I think of the most um, in New York that still are only qualified under four day ground. Unfortunately, if you're in those addresses, we will have no option but to overnight or next day air. So those will be uh, expensive. But for the grand majority of the rest of the country, we ought to be able to do three-day ground almost everything, which will drop your cost. It'll get it to you, uh, hopefully safely. There will be times where, you know, you're going to get meat that, that gets deep off, no matter how much dry it's I put there. I can't control the handling procedures of UPS, but... We're going to do our best um, and try to get these costs down so more and more people can get, get our quality beef into the freezers. Yeah, I think that's going to be something that's uh, looked at very uh, uh, exciting because that's one of the pain points that we've had to compete with. And it's, it's a lot of messaging. It's a lot of explaining, hey, this is what we're up against. It's out of our control, but we look at it weekly. We, we pay attention. And what we also pay attention to is that, you know, through the beef initiative, and you and I have said this several times, Cole, is that you're, you're, we're proud and we're honored to be able to ship beef across the United States right now. Perspective, folks, that's not exactly what we want to do, but we're going to do it until the beef initiative does grow exponentially, which it is right now. We want every producer across this nation to be able to do exactly what Jason is doing. And, you know, as far as KNC Cattle and Cole Bolton and the Beef Initiative, you know, Cole Bolton and KNC Cattle be the number one distributor for or distribution for the Beef Initiative. We want to scale back. We don't want to ship to 40, uh, eight, uh, 48 states. We want more producers to have more opportunities. And that's why this is such a, a match made in heaven. Whenever, you know, we have a podcast like this, we have Jason. He sells in a smaller region. He spells in the region that he defines. 
And he's, he's totally okay with that. And I talked to Jason all the time. I said, I said, I said last week, I said, Hey, Jason, you start shipping boxes soon. He looked at me like I was a dumbass, And then he was just like, no, that ain't ever happening, man. And so we want people to understand is that we want all producers, you know, we want people all the way up from Washington, California, everybody to do what these two men are doing, to be able to have the, the understanding to build out locally, broadcast globally what you're doing because it's educational. But if you're going to get your beef, you know, you're going to get it locally. And that's what we're moving forward within the beef initiative. And Cole, you've said that from day one, because there's enough concentration of people in the state of Texas and surrounding states. We shouldn't have to worry about any other place. We shouldn't have to be shipping to New York City, Manhattan, and being having to battle with shipping companies that are basically, you know, have a prohibition against our type of model. You know, they're more favorable to Amazon and ButcherBox. And, you know, by doing that, being able to broadcast globally and actually ship out nationally right now, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. But all your producers out there, all you consumers that have a local producer, get into the beef initiative. This is how we scale. Everybody talks about how you're going to scale. We're not scaling a damn thing. What we're doing is we're replicating successes from each individual rancher producer. And if we can all work together as producers, as both of y'all said, this is not a freaking competition, man. This is about bridging gaps, bridging gaps of awareness, of education, and what it takes to do what you guys do. And it's going to take all of us. It's going to take every producer out there. It's going to take every consumer to actually funnel into the Beef Initiative platform and start having these questions and answer sessions and to say, hey, I'm better for it as a producer. I'm better for it as a consumer to make this basically my starting point of education and consumption. Consumption model being audio, video, food itself. You have to change. You have to take that step. One reason we're in the shit that we're in as far as producers, ranchers in the United States and as consumers, because we're metabolically bankrupt. You guys know this. Everybody has to look in the mirror about that. One thing is that we've accepted, we've basically built a consumer demand that has been designed and engineered by multinational corporations that put nutrition last and the American rancher last as well. We have, as consumers, we're going to shift our consumer demand and we're going to go shake ranchers' hands either digitally or in person. And it's going to be a lifestyle that we all can basically do together and then we can change basically the... I guess the, 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 the health of a nation starts with one family and one rancher at a time. It starts with one handshake and one cow at a time. And we're not scaling anything. This is something that we're replicating because we have thousands of producers that do exactly what Cole and Jason do every day. But there is a prohibition against you, the consumer, to be able to know that. There's a prohibition against the rancher to fully understand what the consumer thinks about them because they've never had access. So we're going to open up more gates and these two men are going to lead that. So that's my good little pitch today. But what I really want to say to both of you guys, and one thing that's very important to me personally, none of this would have happened if you guys would not have came out and you let me come on to your property. I have the utmost respect for you guys. You are now my friends. You're my brothers. And we've got work to do. And so what we're also going to do is whenever I get to be more of Texas Slim instead of some dude, it's a, you know, the beef initiative that you guys know more than I will ever know 
is that we get to have fun and, and, you know, we get to start cutting it up. And Cole, you brought up, you know, we're, we're going to go and shift into the U.S. Cattlemen's Association when we sat up on that stage with that panel with Matt O'Dell and Marty Bent and Matt Keita and us three. One thing we were doing is we were going into something that we didn't understand. And it is something that, you know, there's not a clarity of what is to be expected of us being, you know, cattle ranchers and people that accept, you know, beef and Bitcoin. But you brought up something about Western heritage. You brought up being a cowboy, being a work, the work ethic that is required. What we're asking a lot of people basically from here on out is put your damn foot down. We don't have to ask for permission anymore to consume good food and to support your local ranchers. By saying that, what did you, I'll start off with you, Cole. What was your takeaway from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association Convention? Um. I think more than anything, it's, you know, we were kind of the elephant in the room. Um, we're different. Uh, we're different in that, you know, maybe some of our, our uh, raising practices are different than the status quo, than what's become the norm in the cattle industry, and that's okay. We can find a middle ground. We're different in that we take other sources of payment. You know, I take cash to along with Bitcoin. Um, I choose how I use Bitcoin, no different than each of y'all do. Uh, no different than each of the producers in the country, in the United States do. And uh, we're different in, in that aspect. But I think at the end of the day, we all realize that there needs to be some decentralization from the commercial side of the cattle industry to, to the farm to table program. And with that, I think we have a middle ground we can all come together on. Uh, you have to approach it real carefully because, uh, you know, we're creatures of habit. Uh, ranchers are very technological, although they play dumb. Um, same way with farmers. We run tractors on GPS. And we're not stupid. Uh, we just sometimes talk slow. And what's the old saying? It's better to appear a fool and say nothing than to speak up and remove all doubt. Uh, a lot of ranchers are a lot smarter than anything. But, um, you know, it's just an introduction. It gives them, it was fun because we got to bring a new concept to something that's different. And anytime things are different, we always have some kind of fear. You know, different than if you're a kid in school and you see a different, someone that looks different than you, it makes you nervous. Uh, same philosophy. But with time, uh, I think some people will jump on board and, and, and want to participate. Some people will continue to not want to and want to do the programs that they're most comfortable with. And that's fun too. There's an outlet for everyone in the industry. I just hope we can continue to make positive change for ranchers so that we're no, so in the long run in 10, 15, 20 years, which isn't that long, um, I don't want to see our industry be a monopoly 100%. I want to see young people like myself uh, get involved in the industry and carry it on. And that's kind of my legacy. I, I don't have children at this time. So that's what I hope to do is to help other young people want to join in the work with them. Love it. How about you, Jason? What did you think about the Cattlemen's Association? What was your takeaway? I had a pretty good idea of what it was that we were approaching. I've, I've spoke before a handful of other ag organizations, specifically about Bitcoin and the, and the integration of Bitcoin into our business and our lives. Um, that group is, is unique in that a significant portion of their 
focus is on uh, legislation, which is super important. You know, you have to go to D.C. and you have to talk to these politicians that have no freaking idea what we do and why we do it and what our pain points are. And that which is why I'm involved in a whole bunch of the organizations that I am that do a lot of work in D.C., when, when I'm having a, a video call with one of our state or our uh, national representatives talking about a bill that they're supposed to be reading and voting on, and they don't even understand the language of what it is that we do and why we do it, I know that there's a need for that. So I appreciate that about the U.S. Cattlemen's. I'm a member of U.S. Cattlemen's as well. Um, but honestly, the after conversations with the handful of producers in the room that were afraid to ask questions in front of their constituents, um, but we obviously piqued their, their interest and their curiosity. And so that gave me an opportunity to give away a bunch of Bitcoin, help these guys set up their own moon wallets and show them how easy it is to transact in Bitcoin, both on-chain and also KYC on the Lightning Network, so they could see what instant remittance looked like. And then they opened up to me what their curiosity was. One of them has a lot of H2A employees that come in from South America, and when they go home after a season, they'll have $20,000 cash on their body going through customs, and when they get off the airport, when they go home, it's like they have a giant bullseye on them, right? Like they're trying to call ahead for guards to help them get home without getting mugged and talking to him about how Bitcoin completely solves that in every single way, right? You could literally send all of that money in the form of Bitcoin, which can be taken out in the native currency at an ATM in wherever it happened to be, before you even left, before you even got on the plane. If they needed money in the interim, instead of all of that cash sitting in the, the producer's bank account, um, you could send it as they get paid straight down there to support their family and wherever they're from in South America. The other producer, one of his pain points was how little interest the banks are paying on cash and how volatile cash is in value as far as buying power. And so talking to him about being able to buy Bitcoin, especially where it's at in value right now, knowing year over year, it's going to be a 100% increase. It's going to double in value every year. It has every year in the 14-year run other than one year. And explaining to him how, how easy it is to go back and forth if he so chooses. Literally, he has all of that control himself. He doesn't have to call a banker. He ha doesn't have to get online. He can literally do it himself from his own hardware device or his own hot, hot wallet on his phone. Um, and then talking about, because one, one of the producers that I talked to has a sideline direct-to-consumer business as well. And what Cole had said on the panel about the additional revenue from this demographic of consumers that you tap into by being willing to accept Bitcoin for payment really got the wheels turning in his mind. He says, that's totally accurate. He says, because listening to these um, 
Bitcoiners talk about their carnivore diet and their consumption of, of animal protein and all of those things. I mean, that is, that's a no brainer. I mean, why would you not do the very minimum steps that it takes to be able to increase your clientele, even if it was only 10%, but if it was 30%, that's a huge ROI for getting educated and setting up. And so, of course, I turned them on to Ibex and the fantastic things that they do and how easy and streamlined that is and how you can literally sweep it into cold storage or sweep it into fiat with the stroke of a key. Um, and so I don't know if he'll reach out to them or not. I, I, I gave all of those guys, I gave my cell phone number, you know, and many of them are social media and they can reach out to me there. Um, but I, I was... I was pleasantly surprised. I knew, I mean, like I told you, Slim, I was like, we may be Daniel in the lion's den, depending <laughs> on just how aggressive these folks are and how vocal they are, like against what we're trying to do. Um, because the narrative in the industry and the narrative in the nation is Bitcoin is bad. We're boiling the oceans, mining Bitcoin, only drug dealers and sex workers use Bitcoin. You know, there's all of this garbage propaganda that our government has been shoving down people's throats. So those of them that are maybe a little simple-minded or they're, they're not open to innovation, they will preach and spout that all over. But so many people were curious enough that they wanted to get the real answers. They wanted the truth. And so we were able to speak the truth to them our truths, you know, with us interacting in Bitcoin for beef, as well as Matt and Marty and their expertise in their parts of the industry as well, because so many of these producers have stranded gas wells on their place. They have, they have to heat a barn with an electric heater anyways. You could plug in a Bitcoin miner and use that to heat your barn and mine Bitcoin. So not only are you heating your barn, you're also putting this long-term multi-generational store of value and potential media of, an ex of exchange for your business at the same time. The, the possibilities are endless if you're willing to listen and learn and educate yourself. Yeah, and that's a good point. And Cole, you brought it up. We're not forcing anything on anybody. We're giving you access to new technology. Uh, ranchers, producers, farmers, they do use technology. They're pretty damn savvy about it. What they don't have right now is that clear communication of education. And that's something that we've done with the Beef Initiative. We've created these partnerships as well. We've got partnerships with OSHI, of course, from day one. We have uh, now have a longstanding partnership with IBEX. Uh, the Beef Initiative itself, our technology stack, our own code, has basically helped you know, put a, a technology stack that's never been invented before. And what we do, we've done is through partnerships, through education. And that's all we're offering to these producers. It's like, hey, man, you don't have to take Bitcoin. You know, a lot of times I, I go into Bitcoin, and I talk to a producer rancher and I say, how much do you pay in the credit cards, you know, as far as chargebacks? How much is your fee? 3%? Well, go ahead and accept Bitcoin and keep that 3% in Bitcoin, turn it over to fiat. There's always an entry point for, for whoever you are as far as your business model. And once again, we're not trying to change anything. We're not trying to force anything. We're giving you more leverage in an in industry 
that is stolen the store value. It is stolen basically that peer-to-peer transactional system that basically our grandparents knew about, our grandfathers knew about, and we're bringing it back. And it's a new technology that is going. It's going to grow. The awareness is going to be there. And you know, a lot of people ask me, "How was the association, the the Cattlemen's Association convention?" I said, "We instigated." And they said, "What do you mean?" I said, "We instigated thought." And that's, that was our job is to instigate some thought, build some curiosity to provide some high level education or some pathways to get that education if people choose to reach out. Um, in, in 2023, that's what we're going to be doing. People are going to be able to come to the Beef Initiative. All you producers out there, you want to learn about Bitcoin, we will have you onboarded. All you have to do is give us a, a support at beefinitiative.com. And we will have IBAX or OSHI contact you and they will onboard you. They will give you the white glove approach. Uh, we're automating this to where anybody, any rancher producer, it doesn't have to be beef. It doesn't have to be animals. It can be produce. It can be anybody that wants to actually start learning about Bitcoin as far as decentralized food systems, clean food systems, food systems that build community. And that's what we're about, you know. And then everybody asked me, are you going to do anything like fowl, hog, you know, produce? Yeah, we had to start with freaking beef because this is, you know, I'm from freaking Texas, man. This is, this is, we're, we're, we're about cattle here. And so that's what's going to be fun this year is that we do get to expand this. We get to really start telling the world, say, hey, man, this is for everybody. You know, we're not going to force this upon you. It's not a marketing plan. It, it is a lifestyle. It is new technology and it's innovation in times of mass prohibition in which a lot of people are feeling these days. And then you don't have to live in that anymore. We have given you market access. These two men right here have developed and pioneered new market access of understanding and to basically the beef that you're looking for. On the health side of things, you know, I had a health scare three years ago. I cannot tell you guys, and and you guys both told me the first week I met you that one of the reasons you do what you do is for the health of kids, is the health of a nation. And what we, we've seen, we have people flooding into the Beef Initiative now telling their stories, saying, I heard you and Cole and Jason on one of y'all's first podcast whenever where I was in Tennessee and y'all had a guy come up to me and he goes, I heard that podcast and it changed my life. You know, he was, he, he had some type of, you know, um, I guess he was getting close to diabetes and his kidneys were doing something, but he went in and he listened to us. And you guys, I just want you two to know that today is that you're changing people's lives. You know, we can say cowboy up and all that bullshit. And we, that's what we're going to do. Actually, we're going to cowboy the fuck up here and everybody's going to quit making excuses. But one thing we're doing is, is we're saving lives. And the only thing we're doing is living in that truth of what you guys do. And that means something these days. It comes with authenticity. You guys bring it. It comes with truth. You guys bring it. It comes with proof of work. You guys bring it. And what we're going to basically be able to show the world is that there's not a competition going on here. We're not trying to say, hey, multinationals, we're coming after you. No, we're saying you guys do what you're going to do. We're going to do what we're going to do, and we're not going to ask for permission. And we're going to decentralize food in a way, basically, that a lot of the American people don't understand. And what we're going to do is we're going to educate. So saying that, all right, here we go. We've got the U.S. Cattlemen's Association Convention, and who reached out to us was Brooke Miller, the president of the Cattlemen's Association himself. 
Brooke, much, much gratitude for you for doing that. Marty and Matt, um, I tell you what, they are something else. They can, they can talk to a crowd better than any of us. And I think you saw that, Cole. That was the first time you'd met Matt. And man, he's got a sense of uh, humility and uh, eloquence to him when he's speaking about Bitcoin. Marty, I mean, gosh, he's been an industry leader. He's both, you know, both Matt and Marty, but Marty was one of the first podcasts that we did together, Cole. And they've been, you know, major open arms and they've given us market access to those people who want to buy beef with Bitcoin. It's a huge thing right now. And it is, it's something that's going to be a foundation for us. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Moving forward into the new year, we're going into the holiday season. What can we expect, basically, as far as Cole, you and I, I'm going to go to you first because I want to sell a lot of damn beef going past the holidays. Uh, what are we going to be offering as far as beef boxes, new market access to hometown meats? What do you got going in Luling? Can come, people come to hometown meats and visit you? What yeah, are going to be welcome. some of the good stuff? We welcome everybody to come by. We, uh, after Christmas, we'll have our full line of smoke product with beef jerky, uh, bacon, smoked sausage. Right now, we're, we're selling uh, pan sausage and fresh sausage, but um, we're adding another line of that with both beef and pork. Um, as far as us, after Christmas, we're going to have some new boxes coming out. Uh, we will be bringing some additional product that you haven't seen, some added value products, some aid product. Uh, so I'll be working with the Beef Initiative team to update those. Um, and then we're just going to continue doing what we're doing. I kind of have that old adage, don't need to fix what's not broken. And it's been doing really well. So I want to stick to it. Perfect. Jason, how about you? What do you got going? You're just going to keep on getting new, new people in that, uh, in, in, in that valley that you live in. Right. So we're actually working with a business uh, branding team um both digital audio visual um we're actually meeting uh for a negotiation this weekend and so what we're going to be probably doing is launching a um like a csa model to help with cash flow throughout the year with the fall delivery of beeves uh because we are conception to plate and therefore it's very um seasonal what our butcher dates are uh, so you struggle with making ends meet until the, your big payoffs, you know, fall, wintered into the early spring. Um, so we're going to be essentially launching our own um, educational series. The, the, the really exciting thing is, is we're in negotiation with the conservation easement um, board of directors right now on putting in some, excuse me, some accommodations here on the ranch so we can host interns so we can host educational series so we can uh host you know camping glamping all of those things to to try and help with the financial sustainability of our business um the the response from the people that came to the ranch was we would love to come out and stay and of course as we as we announced the um Beef Initiative, you know, Texas Slim Internship, uh, Scholarship, uh, Grant, you know, wh whatever definition you want to use. I had, I don't know, 15 or 20 people reach out to say that they would be interested in participating. And so, of course, all of them, I told if they're truly interested in participating, they need to go to the beefinitiative.com and contribute. 
because that's the best way for them to participate. And then we would talk about my end once we got all the logistics figured out on my end. So that's super exciting. Um, I think that there's just a real need and yearning for real ranch experience. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to extend that to as many people as we can get. Um, Cause there's people that want to come and work. They're like, we want to sweat. We've never worked on a ranch. We don't know what it looks like. I'm like, I tell most of them, you won't last very long. Um, just be aware of that. And that's not a judgment. Just know that I've got, you know, college level athletes come out and I, by lunchtime, they're completely shocked. This just, there's a, there's a difference between ranch fit and gym fit. And, um, but they get ranch fit very quickly if they hang around for very long. Yeah. And that, I'm glad you brought that up because both uh, Cole, Cole gets contacted all the time. Say, Hey, I want to come out. Can I come out? And it's not that you guys don't want people out there. It's that you're going to work their ass off so much that they're going to be done and they're going to be saying mama, you know, by 1 PM. And we want to give access. Once again, we're going to open up some gates. And so, this year, one thing that I'm very proud of is that we have launched the I'm Texas Slim Foundation. What it is, it's a grant program that we allot grants to the producer rancher that is in the beef initiative. The first rancher was, of course, Jason of uh, Rick Ranches. And what, that, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to ask you guys out there. I'm talking to uh, all you consumers and all you ranchers out there. I'll talk to you collectively. How many revenue streams do you guys have? You don't have many, but everybody expects everything from that one revenue stream. What we're going to do in the Beef Initiative is we're going to basically provide these grants. So as Jason just said, he can open up his gates and he can educate. He can become the educator that he is. He can have the voice that he's always had, but now he doesn't have to ask permission to do the education. And he's going to be able to develop another revenue stream on his land in which it does entail education, opening up the gates. And if you want to work your ass off, he's going to work your ass off and he's going to make you pay him. So there's all kinds of good stuff that we're going to be able to do that once again, it innovation. A lot of producers and ranchers across the United States want to open up their doors. And so the educational uh, system in that grant program that we've established together, and it's going to be funded by you, the consumer, and everybody out there. You want to know how you want to help the ranchers. You want to know how you can be part of the Beef Initiative. If you're in a city and you can't get to the ranch, you go to beefinitiative.com forward slash donate and you donate. We partnered up with Unchained Capital. We, uh, I put up a full Bitcoin. It's the only Bitcoin I have. I don't mind telling everybody. I like being poor. I like driving my truck across the country. So I gave it over to this foundation because it's going to create legacies. There's going to be one kid out there that goes through Jason's ranch, and he's going to change his life forever. He's going to now be able to create a legacy. Cole Bolton's up next on this grant, and we're looking at it, and I'm still kind of instigating Cole a little bit. What is it going to be? I think it's going to have something to do with cuts of the cow and processing centers, but we're going to, I don't know, we're going to come up with something like that. Cole's got our ideas. I can see, can you see him working there, Jason? I can see his mind. Cole's always working though. That's the great thing about Cole is he's a fantastic (laughs) businessman. He's a strategist. 
You know, I wrote an article about Cole. I don't know, it was about six months ago. And I said, hey, that, that Texas Cowboy's always playing poker, man. He don't let you know either. And it's true. And, uh, you know, Cowboys act dumb, but they're actually, you know, they're paying attention to what's being said. And uh, they're, they're uh, playing a game of chess that a lot of people don't understand. So, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm honored, Jason, to be able to, you know, we've already had people contributing. We had Bubba, you know, gosh, you put up 2.0 of a Bitcoin. Bubba, thank you much again. He basically helped establish the nonprofit that it is. I mean, we've got the legal team that have done some pro bono work for us. There's a lot of people contributing to the Beef Initiative that want to be part of the Beef Initiative and they're finding ways. So we open up our gates to you. You open up your gates of understanding and learn how to ask the right questions. Learn how to shake a rancher's hand. Learn that this is something more than just selling beef boxes online. And, and, and learn that it's basically going to help save children's lives. That's just what we're here for. This is going to be my life's mission. My life's work is going to be I Am Texas Slim Foundation. Well, guess what? These guys that are on this podcast with me, their life's work is the Beef Initiative. Everything that they've ever learned from their ancestors to now, they're given to the Beef Initiative. We have to work with them to be able to be that sponge to understand and create a new consumer demand across this nation. So by saying that, guys, we've gone a while, and I know you got other work to do, both of you. So do I. But uh, hey, Cole, how can people really get a hold of you? What information do you want people to know about you? And uh, we'll close this one out. Yeah, so you can always look us up, kncattle.com. It has our email address <laughs> and our business phone number. Um, uh, you can also reach out to us at Hometown Meat Market. But, um, yeah, as you are, I know you are having some fun picking up. Yes, I, I do multitask. Sorry, I was uh, I was contracting some cattle as we were talking that I had to get out before before lunchtime. So of course you are. Uh, uh, no, uh, I want people to know that I, I really am an advocate of the cattle industry and making sure that we save it. I'm an advocate of education. Uh, I believe it's highly important, and that's a lot of what we're going to do through our social media channels this year, too, in partnership with the Beef Initiative. Um, I hope everyone has a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And if there's anything that we can do for you, please either shoot a shoot an email into the Beef Initiative, shoot us an email at KNC Cattle. My phone number's on there, too. I'm not always the best at answering because inside that processing plant, I have zero service. So, uh, uh Please uh, understand, I'm not being rude. Uh, it just kind of happens. But I'm here to help. Thanks, Cole. Jason. Yeah, I think uh, it's exciting times that we're in. The, the evolution of the Beef Initiative over the last 13 months has been eye-opening for me. I, I continue to just stand in awe of the opportunities that I've had to communicate with people and educate people and teach people and network and continue to build these relationships across the world. I mean, we have constituents all over the world now, and it's just all of their pain points are the same as ours, whether they're in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, whether they're in Australia, whether they're in South America, whether they're in Canada, you know, the United States, Mexico so many of their pain points are the same because of market capture, because of manipulation, because of 
overreaching um, regulation. And Bitcoin fixes that. And the Beef Initiative connects consumers with producers on a level to where we can have the circular economy of Bitcoin and the circular economy of beef and continue to feed brains of young men and women who are then going to grow into the next generations of leaders in the countries that we're in. And it's just, it gives me such hope. You know, it felt like we were standing on an island for a long time. And, and now more and more people are reaching out to us. I mean, I'm going to, to Wyoming to speak at a Young Farmer and Ranchers Coalition there. You know, um, Brooke Miller invited me to fly in for the DC fly-in in June for U.S. Cattlemen's. Um, I just got a text message from the uh, USDA office here in Delta asking me to serve on their board of directors. Um, that's where we can really make a change is when you get involved in those kind of big organizations and start speaking the truths that so many people are afraid to speak. And so that's, uh, it's exciting times. And I just want to thank Slim for your vision. And then also all of the Beef Initiative team for the work that they do every day to keep steering us down and, and trying to keep a hold in, of the reins of what we're doing because we're going every direction all the time. So I just want to say thank you, Slim, for that. And, and again, happy holidays um, and uh, a blessed new year for everyone. Thank you, guys. Um, this has been a phenomenal year. None of us planned for this to happen. Uh, it happened because we chose to take a step in a different direction. And you guys took a chance on me. Uh, much respect for that. I wrote something out here and I'm going to uh, read it and then we'll go ahead and close this out. This is something that I put together and I had you guys in mind from day one. And so me kind of handing over the reins to the producers of the beef initiative so I can go out there and be my little crazy ass hippie punk cowboy self is this for me personally, I do not have a right to preach something until I myself have learned from the ranchers themselves. I've spent the last three years learning and creating a foundation in which the true producers can now take the lead. I myself am going to step up even more and open up more gates to more ranches so that both can build hand in hand in unison so that our consumer demand shifts as a nation but first, each and every one of us has to look in the mirror and become that change that we all need, know needs to occur. We are the new and improved modern-day cattleman, and it started with these two men and myself agreeing to work together so that we can educate and provide market access to the pure animal protein that people, and especially our children, deserve. It takes proof of work. And it should only be acknowledged by the results of changing one life at a time so that they can grow and lead their family and community just as we've shown we are ready to move forward with. There are no judgments here. There are only basically truths. There are no comparisons. There's only unison. There's only truth in front. 
and what we are, we are the authority with what we do. So, gentlemen, I thank you. Uh, great being with you this year. Let's go. Uh, let's go do some damage in a good way. Let's uh, kind of shake it up. And let's uh, cowboy guys have a great holiday this year. Please share this. It starts today. Thanks, guys. Hope you really enjoyed that show. That was something that's been a long time coming. Uh, Cole Bolton and Jason Rick are, uh, man, they're friends now. They are partners. They are leading this new decentralized beef industry. And uh, they're going to do it with class. And they're going to do it with character, proof of work, a new form of beef intelligence. We're designing and offering to everybody how to be the, the new modern day cattleman. So pay attention. Tell everybody about this. We're trying to get 100,000 people. We're changing 100,000 people's lives through health. Food is medicine. Medicine is food. Let's go to uh, the American rancher and let's go shake their hand. We were in my, um, Tennessee at the Micro Summit. I told y'all. And remember, we're going to do a podcast. I so don't think I'm selling anything short in uh, Nashville that happened. But what we did is we auctioned off a piece of art that was basically... Um, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was the thought, the idea was Mills. It's a very good friend of mine, Mills. She's in Nashville. So she went out and had this idea to have an artist in Malta create something called the Bitcoin Cowboy. So it was a piece of art. And like I said, I'll be able to give those things closer to New Year's. That's when this special podcast is going to come out. What a great way to start the New Year's. But anyways, we had a piece of art and we auctioned it off. And what we did is we auctioned it off so we could put it into I Am Texas Slim Foundation, which we, I hope you know by now, if you don't go to uh, beefinitiative.com forward slash donate and you'll find out everything about it. But the I Am Texas Slim Foundation is basically raising money and we're giving and allotting grants to the ranchers and producers that come in through the Beef Initiative and that we work with. We have five ranchers right now that are signed up ready for, a, for one of these grants. These grants are funded by you. They're funded by the people that came to the micro summits. They're funded by me. I put up a full Bitcoin and I guarantee the price was fluctuating all the way between 8,000 and 59,000, maybe 60. I don't know. Anyways, it's funded by everybody that wants to go out there and help the American rancher. Jason Rick is the first recipient of that grant. He's going to use it on his ranch. He's going to now open up his gates to education, to give access to see what he's doing on his ranch. People are going to go out there. He's going to do internships, apprenticeships, whatever he decides to do, he's going to be able to educate you because we have this foundation grant. It's a trust. We partnered up with Unchained Capital. They're a fantastic partner. It's totally transparent. You know where the money's going. We have our legal team. It is a nonprofit. It is something that people are going to start giving to. Don't go give to all those bullshit freaking charities out there where you do not know where the money is going, go out there and know that Jason Rick is going to be showing you exactly how he is going to facilitate and how he is going to steward that grant so he can teach a new generation of Americans how to be a regenerative farmer and rancher. This is how we do this. We don't ask for permission. So we auctioned off that and so many people gave to that foundation. And I have a list of people that gave me their name. And so I wanted to call off who they were. Hey, Clay Cardi from uh, Pennsylvania. He came down. He donated. Stu Hartley. Thank you, Stu. Fantastic meeting you. Uh, Trevor Thompson. Same to you, man, Trevor. Ted Cast. 
Castader. Ted Castader. Thank you, Ted. I remember your face now. And then Sam, of, of course, Scarcity. 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 Here we go. Uh, thank you, guys. That's all we have on the list. But I want you to know, if you were in Tennessee, if you were at the Micro Summit and you gave to the foundation grant that goes to Jason Rick, please email Sean at beefinitiative.com. Sean at beefinitiative.com. We need to know who you are. We need to give you thanks. And we so appreciate you guys basically being basically the first donators to the new grant foundation that is has the name Jason Rick of Rick Ranches. This is a long time coming. I've been working at this for three years and I'm very excited. I'm going to, like I said before, I'm going to be moving aside a little bit and letting the producers run the beef initiative. I'm going to go out here. I'm going to spread the education. I'm going to spread this foundation. We're going to make this a global movement, folks. It's a global movement. And each one of y'all know that this is podcasting 2.0. This is decentralized as much as we can. And you're able to stream in stack sats and boost. And that's through the Fountain app, guys. Go to the Fountain app. I'm going to read off all these damn names here. I'll never have bifocals, by the way. Y'all see me taking off my glasses. That's the reason I never do that shit. Anyways, I've tried it. It sucked. Um, anyways, I'm going to give off these names for you guys. And these are the people that are listening to these podcasts and they're streaming stats. They're giving back. It's called Value for Value. Do value for value with your beef. Go to thebeefinitiative.com. Buy beef from the Beef Initiative. Pay in Bitcoin or fiat. But what it is, it's value for value. We agree that it's a valuable trade peer-to-peer that you know that it is so anyways here we go i'm going to name off and then we're going to close it out here we go Uh, 100 sats from bicycle bear thank you man a thousand sats from junior sinoa there we go junior sinoa i don't know uh okay here we go listen to this hello slim you're an inspiration by mentioning me on your last podcast you're giving me the final push to start my own youtube channel if you're going to send people my way, they need to play a place to go right now. I just have an email, gingerbreadfarmsmi at gmail.com. Gingerbreadfarmsmi at gmail.com. Did you hear that? Somebody's starting a podcast because what are they doing? We're doing decentralized communications here, folks. But I will have a YouTube channel about the, um, the chaos of small homesteading. So homesteaders, get ready. This is going to be a, a place for you. So email um, Junior Sinoa, and he'll get in touch with you. If anyone has any questions, please email him. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you, brother. Trail Chicken, 3,333 sats. Thanks for sharing your story. You bet, man. I'm going to share more stories. I'm going to share. Did I? Did y'all hear my story yet? Yes, you did. Hmm. Okay, here we go. 3,456 stats from Joel W. There you are, brother. 775 stats from Busted Canoe. There you are. 40,000 stats from Bubba. Guess what? Great history lesson that sovereignty is not just the money. Money don't matter if you are star, folks. Did you hear that? Bubba knows what he's talking about. Uh, 200 stats from Bruce Lang. Thanks and good luck. Hell. Okay, here we go. 2,500 stats from Fit Fold Farming Hippie. Keep up the important work, brother. You betcha. You know it. Hunter Satch from Matthew 5502. Sorry the donation isn't much, but I hope you can spread this message to the UK and our farming communities. We have started with the People Food Farming Alliance, PFFA. Love you, man. Hell yeah, we're going to take this global. Everybody get on board. Y'all start sharing to your friends in the UK. Prancy. 
You hear me? I'm coming to France. Get ready. All right, here we go. Um, we got 500 sats from Jordan Rickner. We got 1,001 sats from Hunter770. We got 300 sats from PT5296. We got 100 sats from Lily Farms Foods. I am Texas Slim. Whoa, y'all see how that's done? That's how that's done, folks. All right, man, there's so much more to come. I think I'm going to be doing a lot of little uh, video recordings through my Substack. So remember, 100,000 people, we're going to help them get healthy through food. That starts with shaking your rancher's hand. That starts with going to the Substack, texasslim.substack.com. And what you can do there is you can sign up and subscribe and spread the message. 100,000 children is what I'm going for this year. What are you going for? What is your mission statement in life? Are you going to join this movement? It's getting back to true food intelligence. What that is, is beef intelligence. I am Texas Slim. Are you? Are you?